2: We're back here on Sports Talk on the Big 870. Mike Dattelia, along with Charlie Long, and on our Oakland Heart Jewelers talking text line, David Grubb from Heart in the Paint podcast, also uh, Pelican Trider for Pelican Scoops SI. Uh, Dave, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Always a pleasure, Mike. Dave, before we go into the Pelicans Talk, I got to ask you one question. You, you cover college basketball closer than I do. Your thoughts on Will Wade being a legitimate candidate at Ole Miss, this is basically a year after he was kind of sent adrift by Scott Woodard. And, you know, and uh, I think he, he he never was Scott's guy to begin with. So he knew uh, that tick, tick, tick of a clock was happening for him. Eventually they were going to get rid of him. But this is literally a year after he's gone and, uh, okay, a lot of people say, oh, this is nothing more than Will Wade's people putting this out. No, I think it's a little bit more than that. I think in college athletics today, if you didn't get the death penalty, which LSU didn't, I mean, they got a kind of a smack on the wrist for this, Will Wade's eventually going
0: to be a head coach again. And we also know that this is far for the course we'll miss. Yeah, Like, this is what they do. I mean, you freeze. You know, like, we, this is not a program that's scared of, you know, even when, you, when they hired, you know, uh, when you take on uh, Kiffin, you're doing something that a lot of people thought of as a move that you're bringing in somebody who may bend the rules a bit. So if you're Ole Miss and you've been a program that hasn't been relevant basketball-wise probably since 1989. Yep. You know, when Gerald Glass was dueling with Chris Jackson. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, it's really been that long. They I mean, had a couple other players since then, but that was when they were good. And it's been a long time. And on the football side, it's a team that has fewer SEC championships than Tulane. So, for them, risks mean nothing. What do they have to lose? They're not, they not—they don't care. They've got boosters who will pay. And they've got people who will, you know, take the heat. So, for Ole Miss, what's worse than what they are now, which is irrelevant? At least for them, they'd rather be in the news, no matter what people are talking about, than, than be irrelevant. This
2: almost sounds like Vince McMahon type thing, man. Listen, as long as you' talking about me, it doesn't matter if it's good or bad. You know, you' talking about me. No such bad thing as bad news. Yeah, (laughs) bad bad news. And uh, the one thing with Will and I got to know him pretty well uh, when he was coaching here in Baton Rouge. Will sort of embraced the pirate mentality. Listen, I don't care what you think of me. We still winning. You know, we still winning. And, And it isn't that's. Isn't that the reason you brought me here to win? Now, again, come tournament time, it it didn't kind of follow suit, but he won a lot of regular season games for the Tigers.
0: Yeah, but who did he beat in the regular season? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Like, he doesn't have a signature win. He doesn't have that Dale Brown moment, you know, where you beat off, you beat up um, UNLV or you you beat Loyola Marymount or something. You know, one of those games they'll beat Georgetown in the Superdome in front of what the second largest crowd all time. Yep. yep. Will Wade doesn't have. He doesn't even have a John Brady moment. You know, he never got past the second round. No, he
2: doesn't have a Brady moment for sure.
0: He doesn't have that. You know, like Will Wade is a lot of. He brought in a lot of guys who got highly recruited. Yes. Sure. But even those guys did not develop in the way that you thought that they would. Name a guy under Will Wade who came in and left in a better draft position than when they came in. Nas Reed was a top, was a you know five star pick when he came into LSU. Cam ended up Thomas. Being Cam Thomas, you know, fell to the bottom of the first round. You know, these are guys that you know either if they left after their freshman year that's one thing, but LSU really didn't develop guys under Will Wade, and I think that's why they brought him to LSU in the first place, not just because he could recruit, but because they knew he had done a lot with a little at his other stops, and I think he got caught up in bringing in, trying, you know, it's the Kentucky problem. One and done you stuff. You can never build in a team if everybody on your team is one and done. Yeah, you don't have a couple, I agree with you. but you're bringing six, seven guys who all think they're going to the league in a year, you can't win that way.
2: Yeah, and uh, the one thing with him was the fact that Uh, I think he felt at one time, fans were with me. You know, fans are backing me. I don't care what the management or the upper tier of LSU thinks of me. I'm winning, and they're not going to fire me, you know, because of what had happened in some of the past results with LSU basketball. And so he was looked at a little bit differently. (laughs) But, man, uh, to think, if I'd have told you that a year ago, I I don't think anybody would have thought that his name is coming up in conversation for a head coaching job anywhere in college
0: football, much less in the SEC. I think it just, again, it shows you the power of, of money. Yep. And just that, that now those tournament bids are becoming even more valuable. Now those TV dollars, you know, you want your your share of that. And Ole Miss doesn't want to be left out of the, out in the cold. They have been pretty much that outside of baseball. You know, old Miss—they couldn't win an SEC title with with Eli was under center. They haven't had a basketball team note in twenty, thirty years. So yeah, if you're Ole Miss, those are the programs that that will take a shot. You know, on a guy with a with a stain. It's, it's the same reason that Georgia, after being irrelevant for all those years, brought in you know um, from Jim Herrick after he had been on probation at UCLA and at Rhode Island. You know, we've seen this before in the SEC when schools have gotten desperate. I mean, John Calipari has, has had Final Fours vacated every school he's been at. Kentucky <laughs> wasn't worried about that. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, like, this is the SEC, and we know. We know. We, like they say, it means, it means more here. Yeah, it means enough for people to say, hey, if you can win, win five more games for us, you're worth the problem.
2: Just think, Dave, toward the end of the regular season this year, when Auburn was knocking on Lane Kiffin's door, to, I got my fool now, okay? He brought me to the brink here, and then he makes a decision. Well, I wasn't really thinking about going to Auburn. Come on, that's a lot of the horse hockey. You know damn well he was thinking about jumping because of what Auburn was willing to pay at that point. But, man, they, they gave him exactly what he wanted to stay at
0: Ole Miss. And yeah, I
2: think all of this needs to understand who they are. Yeah.
0: You know, they're launching pad programs and destination programs. And I think they don't understand that Lane Kiffin, you're only as loyal as your options. And right now, Lane Kiffin doesn't have a better option. And Auburn was not a better option at that moment. Because, I mean, to me, quite frankly, why would you leave to go to Auburn, which has shown you that they don't really care about job security either? You know, you could go undefeated and all over two years later, you're fired.
2: Yeah, the boosters there sort of <laughs> control. They got a couple of them there to sort of control things uh, behind the scenes. Charlie's got a question for yeah, you, Yeah, so
3: David, hopping from college hoops to the NBA, we had you on last week and we talked about the wild, wild west. And outside of the 14 and 15 teams, the Spurs and the Rockets, they're just counting lottery balls at this point. Every single team, 1 to 13, is either on a one two- or three-game winning or losing streak. There's been such stagnation. No team can figure out how to go on a long winning streak or a long losing streak, and because of that, it's still super tightly congested in the middle. The Pelicans are starting to slip, though, with that three-game losing streak that they're on. They're in the 10th spot with a 30-31 and 31 record. It's just feels like they need a spark, David. I, I It's hard to explain. They, they seem like they're dead in the water right now with 20 games left. Who do you think can really provide that spark?
2: Dave, the other thing, too, is, and I hear it everywhere I go, and, and these are people that sort of bought into it in the offseason, went back and get season tickets, went back and get floor tickets for a couple of them is, man, you know what I don't like about this team? OK, Zion's down. I, I get that. Where's the energy? Where's the yeah, energy there's none, especially in the from, start this, of games. Th- from this basketball team? And I think that gets under their skin more than OK, we all knew there were going to be some downtime for Zion. Okay, if you didn't think that then you weren't paying attention, but it's the lack of energy on this team.
0: I mean, you saw Willie Green talk about this team has not played with a sense of urgency for a while, and we've talked about that on this show, yes, and you know it's there's nothing as as much heat as Willie Green is taking, and I do believe Willie green you know it, there's no coach in any sport that has it figured out in their second year but Part of this, you know, you got, this is a systemic thing. You got to have, we got to look at David Griffin on one side, which helps create this situation by this is the, this is the natural part of not getting rid of Alvin Gentry year one and not bringing in your young coach to make mistakes when mistakes were okay. So you went through a year with Alvin, you went through a year with uh, Stan, and now you're in year two with um, Willie. And over the last 101 games that this team has played since the C.J. McCollum trade. There have been 101 games this team has played. They are 50 and 51. That tells you that there's not been the growth. Zion Williamson has only been present for 29 of those 101 games. So to me, they should know what it's like to play without Zion well enough. That's all these guys have done is play without Zion. So, to me, the energy, like you said, the, the execution, the lack of intensity, the lack of energy to start ball games. Look, you came out, the two games after the break and you get blown out, essentially, that Toronto game wasn't as close as it ended up being. You know, the, the Knicks embarrassed them. The Lakers embarrassed them before the break. So, this, is, this has been consistent for the Pelicans. And we're talking about a team now In Orlando, they haven't beaten Orlando in five years at home, almost six. This will be six years if they lose the night that they have not beaten Orlando at home. And Orlando's not a good team, hasn't been for quite some time, and yet the Pelicans cannot beat them. This is bigger than this individual group of players. They quit four years ago under Alvin in the bubble. We saw them quit in the bubble, right? They lost every game they played down there. The next year they quit under Stan. The last 20 games they were done. They all said, we don't like Stan, we don't want to be around him when they played okay last year, the end of the year, like I said, it's an overblown thing, how people <laughs> talked about the end of last season, back into the playoffs, and now this year, again, you're seeing this lull in this team. So what does that tell you? It's not just the coach. It's on those guys in the locker room. And in basketball, more than any other sport, look, football, I can have the best players, but if my coaches are putting me out of position, there's nothing I can do. If we're calling bad plays, if I don't have a quarterback, some things are just not going to happen no matter how much talent I got. But basketball, the f- part of this is effort. Are you going to run up and down the floor? We don't see the Pelicans doing that. Are you going to pass the basketball? Are you going to cut when you don't have the basketball? They're not doing the simple things.
2: Yeah, Dave, uh, I was talking to an NBA executive in the off season, and he really praised what Willie had done late in the year last year. He said, I think he did a really good job uh, considering everything was there, but he said, man, I'm telling you, the worst year for a coach and the growth year for a coach is year two, because Now we find out exactly sort of the kind of coach Willie Green really is, okay? How he handles a lot of different things. They got off to a bad start last year, and then they were able to pick it up. But he said, Mike, I'm telling you, year two, and he said, you know, know Williamson's going to be down for some time, and there may be other things that happen. Year two tells you a lot about a head coach. At any level, if it's pro football, NBA, Major League Baseball, you sort of get a pass in year one, and sometimes there's a little bit of hype to it on how you manage the team in year one. But he said year two is the real test of what you got.
0: And I think that you know really struggling with that test. And uh, again, I don't I don't know if his staff, a bunch of. Coaches who are fine individual coaches, if you take them at their resume. But when you're building your staff, none of them have ever had lead assistant as their job. None of them have ever had head coaches their job. And I think that that's an issue for a guy as he's trying to figure these things out. Because Willie himself talked about, I have to do better at holding people accountable. If you had an older veteran coach standing next to you, he's going to tell you, you got you some ass, coach. You got to do that, coach. And they're going to they're gonna be okay with saying that. But if everybody in your staff is your peer, essentially, same age range, played, you know, same time, the guys who were players, they all been around the same time, I think it's a little bit harder for them to be, you know, blunt and to be honest because they're all still at the nascent stages of their careers. And I think really has to be unafraid to lose this job. You have to coach. And if you coach and you do your best and you do the things you think are right and you lose the job – then that's what it'll be. But you can't try to make people happy. And I think that, you know, sometimes Willie is trying to, you know, to, to be everything to everybody. And I think you just can't be that. Sometimes you got to be the jerk.
2: David, if this team turns it around, what do you think will be the keys to it if they turn it around? <laughs> I use that term
0: literally. The biggest thing is going to be who's going who's gonna to lead this team. Yep. Brandon Ingram is scoring. And that's fine, but he's not leading. CJ McCollum's not leading right now because he's not playing well enough to lead, to set the example. So who's setting the tone for this team? And I think if Brandon Ingram isn't going to be that guy, like this is where you learn everything you're going to need to know about Brandon Ingram as a franchise player. We're watching guys put up 70 points, 50 point nights. It's time for Brandon Ingram to put one of those nights together. And you you got one home game tonight, and then you go back on the road for three very difficult games because you're going to play Dame Lillard at 71 (laughs) points. You know, then you go to Golden State, and you got to deal with Steph Curry and his ability to put up points. And then you go and you got to play Dallas when you come back home. So, I mean, it doesn't get any easier for this team. They got to play Sacramento on the road. And the Kings are really good right now. So it doesn't get easier. They have to win this game tonight. Like, it is a must win because they will fall out of the playoffs completely if they lose tonight.
3: David speaking of falling out of the playoffs. I looking at the standings cuz if they really don't get it together, it is quite very possible that they do fall out of this play tournament and don't even have a chance to make it into the playoffs. If that were to happen this season, I don't I've seen people freak out about Willie Green. I don't think I kind of agree with you that I think this is more on the players than it's on Willie. What kind of moves need to be made in the offseason?
0: You got to shore up the center position. Like, it's clear that they're not either you don't want to use Jonas anymore offensively or you don't have the players who can help use him. So to me, you've got to fix up the center position again and you need a point guard. And the the third choice you're going to have to make is Zion or B.I. There is no Zion and B.I. as far as I'm concerned. And I know that makes a lot of people upset, but you can't bet on two guys who are going to miss more than a third of your season every year. You, you just can't do it in the NBA. You, we've, you know, we talked about this. You can have one guy. You can have one guy that you build around, and when he misses time, your team is still pretty complete. But you can't have two guys that you're counting on like that because that holds your roster hostage. And the Pelicans roster has been held hostage. And I think it shows that David Griffin understands, at least in that sense, where this team is now in retrospect by him not making any other moves because I don't think he thinks this team can do much better um, after his comments in Oklahoma City when he said it's on the players that they weren't living up to their thing, I think his focus, anybody who thinks that Willie Green is on a hot seat is confused. He's not going Agreed. anywhere. Not no, their third he ain't coach. going anywhere. Oh. They're not firing their third coach in five years, four years. They're not doing that. They're not doing that.
2: David, uh, in the East, uh, I think it's pretty clear cut there when you see Milwaukee and you see Boston. and And I would – Probably throw the 76ers in there also. I think those three teams, and certainly cut above. And the West, man, you, you can kind of roll the dice on everybody. I know you like the Clippers a lot more than, say, someone else would. Uh, is there another team out West that you could say, kind of keep an eye on uh, late here that could get hot and really make a run at this?
0: You know, I hate to say it. But it's starting to feel like the Lakers are one of those. God, <laughs>
3: because of those trade deadline acquisitions, David. Like, they go out and they get all these good players, like D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, on the cheap. And then they just improve their roster, like, tenfold. And now they're going to be making a push, not only to the play-in tournament, but into the playoffs. I, I'm I'm worried about the Lakers, if I'm if I'm a Pels fan.
0: I really am. I, you know, you hate it. You hate to see it. and um, Because, you know, Pelicans fans were pretty – Rough on the Lakers early in the year when the Lakers were sh- struggling, and now um, you have a rested LeBron and a driven LeBron who certainly doesn't want to go out um, another year without the postseason. And the, you know that strength of schedule thing for the Pelicans just isn't playing it out. And or what you—it's it, about how you're playing. No matter who's the opponent, if you're playing poorly, you're going to lose. And right now, the Pelicans are, have no sense that they're picking it up, that they're getting it together. And you watch these other teams in the West, like you said, they're either on these one game. Maybe two, but more of them are, than not have been playing better than the Pelicans have of late, and that is such a big problem because even the games you see uh, Denver lose the other night, it still looks like they're playing really well. You look at Michael Porter Jr. and say he's getting healthy, he's starting to score. Jamal Murray is averaging you know his career high in assists. Jokic is already you know two time MVP, so everybody else is doing the things that you think that they need to do um I, I i'm scared that the lakers could really you know put a push on late and again it's such a matchup driven thing who's the best player in the series even at 38 years old lebron james could still be the best player in a couple of series
3: to your point david the lakers are on that three game winning streak which is tied for the biggest in the western conference <laughs> the pelicans are on a three game losing streak which outside once again throwing away the rockets and the spurs cuz once they're they're counting lottery balls at this point the Pelicans are on the longest losing streak in the Western Conference, tied with the Timberwolves.
0: And even the Timberwolves are ahead of the Pelicans. Well, not ahead, not ahead right now. But I mean, it's just it's. I think even the Timberwolves have more of a sense of purpose and identity. And I think that's the thing with the Pelicans too: is who are they? What are they? I don't think anyone knows, and that's a terrible place to be at this stage of the season. You know, it's, this feels very much like. Um. I mean, it, it just feels like what we've seen in the past. It feels like deja vu. Almost like a rerun.
2: We've seen this all over again.
0: Yeah. Rerun and it's a of a show. show. Yeah. I don't like this show. <laughs> Why do they keep running these episodes?
2: <laughs> Dave, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. All you you always do a great job, and we appreciate your insights.
0: Thanks so much, guys.
2: Appreciate it. David Grubb, host of Hard in the Paint podcast. Also for Pelican Scoop and uh, Pelicans Rider for SI.com. We'll be back with more sports talk here on the Big 870.